You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Oh man, have we got a show for you. It is a Friday. We have the AFC and NFC championships this Sunday. We're going to find out who's headed to the superb owl. And we have three new head coaches in the NFL that we have to talk about because we weren't on last night. We got the Giants hiring Brian Dable. We've got the Broncos hiring uh, Nathaniel Hackett. And we've got the Bears hiring Matt Eberflus. We're going to get into all of those hirings, talk a little NBA, going to have a ton of guests on to talk about the football games, and and Fitz is going to sing again. It's a big Friday is what it is. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Before we get to the guests, we got to talk about these matchups ourselves, Fitz, because, again, we weren't on yesterday. We haven't had as much time this week to get into the nitty-gritty of these matchups. And... For all we've said about the Chiefs all year long, the ups and downs, can the offense catch up to the defense? Okay, now can the defense stay strong while the offense is figuring it out? We aren't paying quite as much attention to a Cincinnati Bengals team that midway through the season we weren't talking about at all, and all of a sudden has a chance to get all the way to the Super Bowl. It's an incredible turnaround. Yeah, this entire matchup, uh, to, to sit here and say that we're seeing these two teams in the AFC Championship game, I think speaks to a little bit of what we – what has made this NFL season magical. I mean, honestly, the number of times that we were ready to give up on Kansas City and the number of times people were waiting for Cincinnati to be who we think the Bengals have always been as a franchise to get two teams that are playing their best going into this game, playing so well going into this game. Like, I'm excited about the fact, frankly, that these two teams just played a few weeks ago because now it becomes the interesting chess match of what do you tweak from the first time around versus what do you try to just say this is who we are Versus coming in and saying, how do we change what we did last time to get better at it? That's the, the chess match from coaching is going to be really interesting to me. Both of the games this weekend are going to be so much about scheme and coaching. And and to your point, you know, one of the things we've rarely talked about this season, if at all, is Joe Burrow coming back from injury. It's almost a non-story. And I, I was listening to Kevin Clark post something, an interview he did months ago, kind of letting people know that he thought the Bengals were going to be something this year, really early in the season. They could have, you know, 10 wins and really make some noise. And he was talking about talk uh, an interview he did with Joe Burrow and specifically that Joe Burrow had been so used to being this cocky guy, had one of the best college football seasons of all time, and after the injury needed people to help him get up and walk to the bathroom, right? And and we have not talked much about Joe Burrow confidently getting right back into football, particularly in a game last week where he gets sacked nine times and somehow seems to get stronger each time he's hit. Almost seems to have that incredible, you know, swagger and moxie that we've heard about him um, grow when he takes the hits instead of shrinking or changing his game plan. In fact, uh, he was talking about how he would like to send more guys out on routes and fewer back to cover. Um, and there's that fine balance for the Bengals of we need to protect our guy. And then he, he wants to be aggressive. He wants to send dudes out and hit as many routes as he can. And that's an incredible thing to say about someone who suffered a catastrophic injury last season. Well, and, and especially when you think about what we always say with every quarterback. Well, the minute you start falling at his feet, what happens, right? And quarterbacks don't like the middle of the line getting at his feet. That's exactly what's happened to Burrow for two straight weeks. I mean, the number of hits 
through the playoffs he's taken that haven't just been little bumps as he's gotten rid of the ball. I mean, he has been absolutely thwacked, even though I'm not sure that's a word, over and over for weeks, and he just gets up. Like, there's a that, that speaks to the mentality of who he is, and, and maybe that speaks to, you know, being a young guy that, that at this point isn't as uh, thoughtful about taking care of his body, something that Brady sort of admits as he moved later into his career. He started to realize there were hits he just didn't – he doesn't want to take anymore, right? So, you know, maybe there's this youthfulness to, to all of it, yeah, but it's an impressive sure. ability to stand in the pocket and say, hey, murder me all you want. I'm still going <laughs> to deliver the football. I don't know how you beat that. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. The good news, they might not have to beat that this time. Kansas City, 23rd-ranked pass rush in terms of sack rate, so he might stay vertical a little more often. Cincinnati's defense is going to have to figure something out, though. They want a shootout again, this Bengals team. That's the best-case scenario for them. They want a shootout, but they want to have enough control of the ball to keep the Chiefs from being able to have it last, to keep the Chiefs from possessing it enough to take advantage of a couple things. For instance, they don't have great speed in the backfield. And when you're facing a team with the weapons that the Chiefs have, you could easily give up those big bombs if you don't have the personnel in the back. And, you know, Ryan Clark was on Barton Hahn today talking about there are things that need to go right for Cincinnati to have a shot against what's a better team that's further along in the Chiefs. This game defensively has to be run, won by the front seven. I don't think they match up well on the back end. Jesse Bates has to play the way that he's played the last two playoff games been extremely disruptive, you know, making, you know, showing why he's going to be one of the top free safety, free agents on the market this year. And Joe Burrow has to score a boatload of points. This isn't a game you can go into against the Kansas City Chiefs and expect to win with 24, expect to win with 27. It's going to be, it's going to take 34 plus to win this football game. And you have to be able to protect Joe Burrow to do that. I, yeah. I don't disagree with anything RC just said there. I think that, though, I, I would make it a testament that they've won the last couple of games by scoring less points because they've had so many protection issues. That's just the way those games have gone. They've been able to win ugly. I, I do think it's interesting when you just saw a team a few weeks ago and now you see them again. Speed is one of the things that I think is the most uh, interesting thing to see how they handled the second time around because the first time you can say, man, I didn't really anticipate this or that. But when you watch it back and you have just seen it in person – I wonder how that changes the way you approach everything. Both of these teams have a lot of speed on the offensive side of the ball, particularly how defenses adjust to it, having just seen it a few weeks ago. I think there's a real opportunity for the defenses to play better angles because they just saw the speed on the field weeks ago. I completely agree. We also know the Chiefs were trash at tackling in that game. And a simple fix like that that might just come from being in a game this big. When you're not ready for the playoffs, you're in the playoffs, and this is a shot to get to the Super Bowl. That kind of thing can get fixed. You anticipate people to be playing at their best. Also, they got a real good look at Jamar Chase, and they got worked by him. Rob Ninkovich was on Greeny today talking about how they need to better defend him. First of all, you don't just put one guy on him. you got to make sure you – you put a couple guys on him. You got to have more attention to him. You know he's a go-to guy. Um, if he's anywhere near the line of scrimmage, if he comes anywhere close to a defensive end on a on a crossing route or a linebacker within five yards, you got to hit him. You got to put your hands on him. You got to slow him down. You got to make it a long day for for just his release. You can't just let him run down the field unscathed like we see all these teams do. A la Buffalo, 13 seconds. Oh, just let Kelsey run down the field with no one touch him. Yeah, it's a smart idea. Um, doesn't work out, and it probably gets you beat. So they got to get hands on. I mean, it makes total sense. I just think that's easier said than done. You're asking mm -hmm. the guys in the middle of the defense to get hands on somebody that 
I'll be honest. Like I watched Jamar Chase, obviously in college. Uh, all of us did that have ever covered college football or just watch it. You've seen him. When I saw him actually in the playoffs, it, it just it felt different. The level of speed, the the acceleration, the turbo button, as I always say, just felt like it hit different. I mean, it's a great concept to say I'm going to get hands on that guy in the first five yards. But man, that's like saying I'm going to keep Gojo away from the donuts. Like we could say that all day. Doesn't mean it's happening. <laughs> Uh, interesting note here, teams that faced the last squad to beat them in the regular season. So that would be the chiefs facing the Bengals when they face them again in the conference championship, they're two and seven in nine games. So that team that had that regular season win has won seven of nine meetings in the conference championship. Another note though, Patrick Mahomes eight and oh in the postseason against quarterbacks, not named Tom Brady. So uh, something's got to give, right? Uh, You get to go go into this game with a lot of statistics and a lot of expectations. Game is played on the field. We'll see how much it's played like the last time they met. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Protecting your small business is a big deal. Cover what you've worked so hard for. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, we're going to dive into the NFC matchup. How much a Super Bowl might mean for one veteran quarterback. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow. College basketball action. Abilama, host Baylor. Coverage begins 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Always good. College basketball is in full effect. Tons of great action. By the way, you can check out Countdown to Game Day with me and Christine Williamson tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, wherever you ingest your digital ESPN property. So, Sarah, obviously this weekend we just talked about the AFC Championship game, but the NFC Championship game giving us all of the spice, as you and I have said, I feel like a a million times at this point, the next time that Jimmy G is beaten by the Rams will be the first time that Jimmy G (laughs) is beaten by the Rams, which feels Weird every single time I say it, but we're talking about a Rams team that in every possible way should be the favorite taking on a 49ers team that has beaten them twice this year. And, and I love hearing the, well, it's tough to beat the team three times in one season. Well, it's tough to beat them once, tough to beat them twice. So I, I don't know how much weight I put into that, but I do know that this revenge aspect of these two opponents that know each other so well makes the later uh, Sunday match particularly juicy. I might have this wrong, but if I remember correctly, I think that, you know, tough to beat him three times thing. I think teams are 14 and eight. Um, so Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not as tough as people think. That's just one of those sayings we like to say. Um, yeah, this is going to be a fascinating game to watch because the Rams across the board are the more talented team who should win probably especially when you look at some of the ridiculous Jimmy G related statistics. And I understand that folks listening, especially, you know, Jeff Garcia, if you're out there, you're a big fan, but statistically (laughs) it is wild. Some of the things that Jimmy, I mean, to have an 11.8 QBR in a winning game against the Packers last week, (laughs) to have four straight games with a turnover, including the playoffs, you know, to be, I believe, in his four playoff wins, to have averaged 18 or fewer passes in those wins, right? You could say it all the different ways you want. It's not shade against Jimmy. He's still the quarterback for the team that is winning. But when you look at that opposite a Rams team that has not only Stafford, a great quarterback, but all the pieces they've acquired in the offseason, incredible pass rushing, incredible, you know, safety backfield play, You think they're going to win, but 
I mean, you look at the matchup and you look at the way the Niners have fared against teams that are not built to beat them. They are physical in a way that the Rams have not done well with. Um, they can essentially make Jalen Ramsey meaningless by making him chase Debo around all game. Because unlike Rodgers, who focused so much on Devontae Adams and could not get off him to go see somebody else, the Niners are willing to go to Ayuk and Jennings and Kittle. They could take Ramsey out of the box for the run game by sending him running around following Debo. And then you get Darius Williams in there as the nickel, which is exactly what the Niners are looking for because he can't help with the run at all. Like there are so many ways that they, if they do the things that Shanahan calls for them to do, can take the pieces of the Rams that have been so effective out. Now, of course, the, the Niners have to figure out how to deal with Cup. The Niners have to figure out how to deal with the pass rush. And if Jimmy G hears footsteps and gets anyone near him, those mistakes start coming. But this is not nearly as one-sided as it should be. In fact, it's the opposite way one-sided based on the history of the matchup. Yeah, there's this moment. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We always say strength on strength. This, this feels like it's the opposite of that. By the way, I think it's important to note the Niners have won six straight against the Rams. Like th This is a substantial winning streak over the last three seasons. And in four of those six games, they were the underdog. So every right. time we think, yeah, this time. isn't going to happen. this And they still are. Every They're an underdog and in this game, Fitz. It doesn't matter that they beat them twice this season and six times in a row. I, and to that end, I keep looking at it and saying, well, maybe we overcomplicate some things when we look at football sometimes because I keep thinking about Von Miller and Aaron Donald and just the absolute terror that defensive line is at getting after the quarterback. But then I'm looking at the 49ers thinking it's not like they want to really throw the football. Like, that's not really. Mm -hmm. We have said every week through this run in the playoffs the same thing. Kyle Shanahan, part of his brilliance is his ability to creatively run the football, whether it's with Debo, whether it's with the running back. They run out of all sorts of different formations. They force guys on the defensive side of the ball to track a lot of field to get after anybody running the ball. Like, you can watch the exhaustion from a defensive line trying to figure out what the 49ers are doing every time they run the football. And I'm looking at the 49ers saying – it doesn't really matter if they're taking on a defensive line. They can kill a quarterback because they're not really looking to beat you that way. So it's funny that it feels like all of the superpowers of the Rams are built to beat a team that's not doing things the way the 49ers do them. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You know, if you look at it the opposite way, you look at Stafford and the pressure that he deals with, he's actually fantastic against the Blitz, which is why this is such a bad matchup for them because the Niners don't need to send extra rushers. They've led the NFL in pressure rate with four or few pass rushers, and when they drop seven men into coverage, they've been really effective against Stafford, and Stafford has not been able to take advantage. He wants you to Blitz him so he can beat you deep, and they aren't willing to show that look to him. And again, those... Those stunts along the D-line that kept Aaron Rodgers absolutely flummoxed are going to work against Stafford, who admittedly has a ton of pressure in this game. Fitz, we've talked about the pressure for the Rams all year long. We'll add into that that you've got McVay trying to outsmart a guy who has clearly had his number in Shanahan to the tune of six straight losses. Add into that Stafford, who has always had the Lions as sort of, well, I was with the Lions, this wasn't my fault, now gets traded a ton to bring in and be the guy that gets them over the hump so they can play at home at SoFi. Oh, speaking of that, 
They had to do a silent count the last time they played the Niners at home because they weren't really playing in front of a home crowd because the Niners faithful came in. Add that final narrative piece, Fitz, that the Rams could have eliminated the Niners from the postseason with that regular season win at the end of the at the end of the year. And instead they lost. They let them in and now could lose to them with a Super Bowl berth on the line. The stories are so good. There are so many jokes to be made about the Rams and having home field possibly in the Super Bowl when we realize that they won't even have home field at home in the NFC Championship game. That's just that's a real thing that is going to take time. And I say that joking out of one side of my mouth, but out of the other side of my mouth, I would say that it takes a minute to grow roots in any new city for a football team. And, you know, if you're the 49ers fan base, you are ready to travel down to L.A. and you're ready to make sure that you take that stadium over. And many people in that area are lucky enough to have the means to buy the tickets, even if they are the most expensive NFC championship game ticket we've seen in a generation. So, I, I, I mean, I look at all of this and think there's so much opportunity for San Francisco. But the one thing that you said that really sticks in my head is thinking about Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay because I keep talking about coaching in general. I think it matters so much at this level. I don't know what you do when the coach on the other sideline just seems to know every single trick up your sleeve. Like, how do you maintain the balance between I'm just going to be me, I'm just going to do what I do, and knowing that when you are you and do what you do, that coach on the other sideline kicks your butt. Like, that's that's what's happening right now. And as much belief as I have in Sean McVay's ability to coach, I believe more right now that Kyle Shanahan is hot and in his head. And that's a dangerous combo in an NFC championship game. Yeah, it's interesting, Fitz, because I think if you talk to experts, they'll tell you it's more about scheme than it is about, like, mental edge. It's not that McVeigh's getting psyched out because he's afraid of Shanahan out coaching him. It's that Shanahan is in fact out coaching him, right? If you then multiply the the schemes and how he's he's using that effectively against the Rams and then you get McVeigh to start second guessing himself because of that history, now you've doubled the advantage. And that's that's the point is that there are things that the Rams can be very effective at. They just need to go out and execute. Stafford has two interceptions apiece in both games against the 49ers this season. The 49ers know what they want to do against him. He just needs to be able to beat it. And that's the same thing with McVay and this team against Shanahan. It's just easier said than done. So he can walk in there and say, I'm not going to get psyched out. I'm not going to change who we are. I'm going to go out there with my game plan. And as soon as Shanahan starts doing his thing and it's working, you have to wonder how strong he can stay with the game plan he brought in. I don't know if there's a game that we'll see in a long time where the two quarterbacks have more pressure on them through the process of what we're going to see in this NFC championship game either. So it is, I I mean, Jimmy's got that much. I mean, he seems like he's going to be fine after this and he's probably out the door regardless. Stafford's the one feeling it. The question next up, what would a Super Bowl mean for who day nation? We'll ask friend of the show and a longtime Bengals fan next Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All right, to get all of the insight we could ever need, completely unbiased, of course, on all things Bengals, Chiefs, and the AFC Championship game, we're joined now by our buddy Jordan Cornette. Jordan, first and foremost, let's just start with the most important thing in all of this. Uh, I've been trash-talking you every week on Twitter. The world needs to know, though, that, you know, A, I love you, and B, I'm always happy for your success, but C, as long as I can keep trolling you with Bengals songs, I'm going to do it, right? Like, this is just part of our, our relationship now. Yeah, and people I don't think understand that you're the key cog to the operation. 
without you being a willing participant, look, week one in this, in this postseason, in that wild card game, it was genuine. You were anti bengals because you were pro your team. I'm not quite sure what the deal was when you went anti bengals and then went Titans in the divisional round, but it helped us. And so I was the one who did request that jingle that second time around. You came through on the strength of our friendship, and it ended up working that you went out anti bengals because we won that one. So naturally, I pushed the envelope, got greedy, asked you to do it a third time. I think you're really pro bengals but out of the goodness of your heart, you realize the trend, and you said, I'll take a bullet. I'll go anti bengals again, even if I'm no longer welcome in Cincinnati. But I'm doing it for the people of Cincinnati. I want them to understand that. I think they're onto it now. They know that you're helping us with these anti bengals jingles <laughs> because we're winning. Well, America, this is, this is the most recent jingle. And, yes, I wrote this while I was in the shower. Check it out. Oh, hey, Jordan. Everybody knows that I'm a Raiders fan. In a game like this, well, I should be a Bengals stand, but I'm gonna troll you now, cause that's the kind of friend I am, and maybe it's part of a master plan. Cause the Chiefs are gonna tomahawk chop your season away, hey, yeah, 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 gonna leave you crying in your skyline chilly today, hey, yeah, 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 cause everything that you have loved will sure come crashing down. The Chiefs are going to barbecue some Bengal in their town. Well done. It's incredible. Sarah, I feel good. I feel good about it's it, Sarah. Catchy. They're getting better. It's incredible. Very catchy. <laughs> you know what I feel good about in this whole thing is that uh, through the course of the playoffs, Jordan, you've been at odds with everyone. Uh, you you and Fitz were at odds. And then again, because of Fitz's Nashville ties, you were at odds. And now you're fighting with Stosh, which is just a terrible idea for anyone because you can look down on Fitz, but you and Stosh are, are eye to eye, man. And ain't nobody messing with Stosh. So I have stayed out of this. My team has been irrelevant for dang near a couple months now. So you and I just get to be cool. I like that. <laughs> But, but look at you guys, Sarah, hiring coaches, getting a GM, faking like you guys want to be a part of this thing. It is yeah. cute what's coming out of Chicago. Yeah, a bunch of people we've <laughs> never point. heard of and didn't have on the list of, of really compelling did, candidates. Did Jordan just say it's cute? <laughs> like, if we got to the, the spot where, well, like, yeah, yeah, this Bengals point, somehow, fans are at wow. some point, At some point, the Bengals have gotten chesty enough right? to go walking around acting like they can make me a fan of a, you know, charter franchise that's actually won something in our day feel bad about myself i'm not gonna let you get away well, with that it's what we call new money like i'm not yes, acting like yes. i've been here before <laughs> I have it. So i'm gonna be brash i'm gonna be obnoxious Honestly, though, I'm gonna have my friend you, make songs very, and lean off of his talent you know what it's very true jordan Cornette is with us diehard Bengals fan the Bengals are like a new house it's got an open you know concept white kitchen beautiful my house is bigger and it's in a better location but there's a lot of wood paneling <laughs> And we need to knock down a couple walls for the open concept. Like, in theory, it should be worth more. It's just right now it's not that appealing. Okay, we've got that I mean, analogy yeah. just absolutely killed. <laughs> let's let's talk about the game, Jordan. I, I really want to talk about the game because you can get all chesty about your squad and you actually have a reason to go in fairly confident because these two teams met not that long ago and your boys came out on top. In fact, holding Patrick Mahomes to 50 yards in the second half. The Chiefs only possessed the ball three times in the second half. They really took control of possession and got their way back into the game and won. Does that make you confident, or are you worried about, you know, Mahomes getting his revenge? 
Well, the only thing, not the only thing, look, there's a lot of things that make me nervous about Stasha's group. By the way, win or lose, I'll still love Stasha if I lose. I don't know if I could have <laughs> said the same about smart. Jason Fitz if we lost yeah, the wild yeah. card. I digress, though. <laughs> uh, the, the, mm. one, of the, one of the chief concerns of mine is, and, and maybe this has been overlooked at this point, it certainly wasn't after we beat the Chiefs, but it took a historic performance where Jamar Chase broke records in a single game for receiving 266 yards in that game. We needed a Herculean effort from him just to barely, narrowly get by the Chiefs. Can he replicate that? Does he have to replicate that? Those are the kind of things that keep me up at night as we get close to Sunday. That and my nine-month-old, who is uh, occasionally sleeping through the night, sometimes not. But to me, Sarah, you mentioned another paramount piece to the pie. Defensively is where these Bengals are simply not getting enough credit. And this is a group that has pinned their ears back, been playing with their hair on fire, whatever cliche you want to use. But everybody wants to talk about the headliner, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. And I get it. We lead with offense. It's why we always have a chance. But defensively, this group has made plays when they've absolutely needed them. The only reason, the only reason why we beat the Titans in that game were those three takeaways at the most critical times in that game. Our defense is going to have to apply pressure. I'm looking at you, Trey Hendrickson. we got to get to the quarterback. I think we've got to take away the ability for these Chiefs to make big plays. Easier said than done, obviously, but we can't let them have the big chunk plays. Make them work for everything, and I think it'll come down to a final possession because our offense will give us a chance. We're talking to Jordan Cornette. You can check him out on some random ESPN platform, I guess. I, I don't like. He's basically just Shay's husband. I don't know. That's all I have to say. And by the way, I decided while you guys were giving all these smart answers that my team is a house that's brilliantly built. It's beautiful. It's just portable. It can be moved from city to city. Uh, so, Jordan, if you look back, it, it, you mentioned Hendrickson and, and the need to get after the quarterback. Who else can help them get after the quarterback? Because we all know one person can't take Mahomes down. Well, it's going to have to be the collective. Look, Larry Ogunjobi being out in this game really hurts. And, and to me, it's been an elevated performance with him out. Logan Wilson at the linebacker position has been huge for our group. I mean, look no further than the tip ball that ended up being an interception in his hands. But he's the quarterback of the defense. At the beginning of the season, when that defense was truly on fire, it was our linebacker, Logan Wilson, who was out there making plays. I look to a guy like that because he sets the table for this group. Our edge rushers are important. But the quarterback of that defense is incredibly important. Look, the Chiefs aren't going to hurt you too much with the run, so no Larry. It doesn't really bother me as much. Uh, but I definitely would look at Logan Wilson and say he's got to be our guy. Bengals fan Jordan Cornette with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Jordan, tell us what it would mean for Bengals fans to be in the Super Bowl. Oh, my gosh. Like, when you say that, it sounds surreal. I, I never knew I was going to be this kind of guy because I've never had a team – <laughs> to truly root for the Bengals are my only like team that I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of all things Notre Dame because I went there, played there, so I root for them. I was never a Cincinnati Reds fan because Marge Shot, let's be very clear, was a racist growing up, so I never rooted for the Reds. And so when I have a team, it was the Bengals because they were so lovable. I've never had a chance to see them like this, really. I mean, in 1991, the playoff when I was eight years old, I didn't understand the gravity of it. So Sarah, it would mean everything, not just for a franchise getting it done. But for a city to believe again, we've had so much heartbreak. I've talked about it on this show before of just all the letdowns in Cincinnati sports history, whether it be collegially or professionally. We're just not used to being here. It's a galvanizing thing in a time in our country where everybody's so divided. The city of Cincinnati itself on political issues, COVID, uh, whatever you want to talk about. But this is something that collective all get behind. And it's fun to watch people come together and root for a common thing. Where are you going to watch the AFC Championship game? 
at my house until my wife kicks me out, which is a, a, a very strong possibility. Uh, I will be drinking the brown water. Inexplicably, I have the day off, which I am juiced about. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, there's a blizzard coming in Connecticut. If we don't have power, oh, my gosh, the things I'm going to do <laughs> to this house and break it. Just go. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be so Listen, Cincinnati? Man, like the double the tree will always have power. The double tree will always have power. And as you know, ESPN has 1,100 backups like that place has tvs and now all i'm the picturing channels. jordan Cornette on like cross-country skis just, just trudging his work. way across yeah. the hour tra- track to get there well, I, let's, I need let's that talk one. about it do they let do they let alcohol in do we just break the rules they don't I need to know hon they don't need to know just bring yeah. a water bottle and don't <laughs> don't talk to hunt. anybody just find a quiet room with the tv and do your thing jordan good luck we're excited you, for you we look forward to talking to you after the game hopefully en route to the super bowl Sarah Fitzy, love you guys. Thanks for having me. Hope to talk to you next week. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Friday ahead of a big Sunday of championship NFL football, figuring out who will represent the AFC and the NFC in the superb owl at SoFi. And of course, the Rams looking to stay at home. Not necessarily a home advantage, though, at least throughout these playoffs when we've seen them facing uh, the Niners in the regular season. We'll see if that happens again this weekend. Joining us to talk about it, the Athletic Rams reporter, Jordan Rodriguez. Jordan, thanks for the time. Hey, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Yeah, pretty wild that they had to go silent count against the Niners at their own home field. How much of the discussion this week has been about uh, checking zip codes, wives telling people not to sell tickets, uh, you know, that focus on trying to get as many Rams fans in the building as possible? Yeah, it's been interesting. Definitely, uh, you know, it, it, it was even coach, coaching staff and players were even getting questions about it, like, as immediately as after that wild win in Tampa during post-game pressers because it was pretty, I mean, it was pretty shocking. And I think the nuance here is, is obviously, you know, it's, it's going to take a, a minute to rebuild uh, a, you know, every single time advantage foundationally um, a, a franchise and a fan base that, that didn't have their team here for, for a while. And so that, that part, I think, is, is well understood by, by fans and, and pundits and all of that. But it was, I think, a bit startling um, in week 18 to see that extent. The Rams, you know, obviously SoFi is so new, two years old, and this is the first year that fans could actually be in the, in the stadium. And the Rams fans had really held a pretty solid home field advantage. They, uh, you know, it's really loud in there, and you could really see a great turnout from from the fan base, but then the 49ers, I mean, they travel so well. There are so many 49ers fans in California, especially in the 20 years or so that there was not a Rams team in Southern California and um, that they showed up and they were loud. And it was, it was striking because Matthew Stafford had to go to silent count a couple of times. They false started a couple of times and Jimmy Garoppolo did not need a silent count. So mm-hmm. I think that was a, a bit of a sobering instance and a reminder that as exciting as this team is and, as much as they've got going for them and as bright as the future looks for them, um, there is still, it, it still is in, in building mode in terms of really establishing and, and putting those roots down and, and keeping them there. Part of that though, Jordan, I think also has to be when you think about the cost of tickets, a lot of people looking at this first season are selling their opportunity to make back some of that money for PSLs and tickets. Have you noticed a difference in the playoffs, particularly with the home field crowd versus what we expect or what we see in the regular season? 
Well, the, uh, the, the Rams fans really brought it for the wild card game against Arizona. And then obviously they're on the road um, playing in a pretty hostile environment. Tampa Bay really showed up for that game, but um, they brought the Rams fans really brought it for that Arizona game uh, a week prior. And, and I think part of it, you know, it's on the one hand, it's really cool to see players and uh, support staff and people who, who, you know, essentially run the team offering to get fans to the game and, and people, yeah. um, you I'll know, trying to do give, giveaways yeah. and <laughs> yeah, that, they're doing their part, best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that they're... part's really cool, but you also, you kind of, you, you know, you don't want it to come down to that. And you also want there to be structure. It's just like this with every sport, every team, I'm just going to go on my like, like man yells at cloud rants or something right now, but like you, it really, it's, it's when you have opportunities for brokers to sell to highest bidders. And there's a huge amount of that happening at SoFi as it, as there are, as it is everywhere. Um, but it, it's like, you know, you, you don't want it to come down to sort of these hail Marys at the very end of it, even right. though the gesture is very cool and very, and very Speaking- nice. Speaking of Hail Marys, uh, that could, could be very well how this game yes, ends. You like, based that, on, you like that segue. Yes, you like based, that. On, based on last week. Well, I want to get to the game. I, I, I didn't mean to, to take too much of your time on tickets. I want to talk about how this team actually beats the Niners. What has to go right for the Rams? Yeah, so first and foremost, this game is going to be so fascinating and physical up front. Um, it's really best on best. The Rams offensive line has had one of the you know the best seasons of, of any offensive line throughout the league, first in pass block win rate. And um, when they have sort of revamped their run game, uh, not so much against the 49ers, but in general, they've sort of revamped their run game and done pretty well down the back stretch. But particularly that pass block win rate has been so outstanding. But on the other side, you know, the 49ers, they're going to rush hard. They're going to rush often. They're going to rush with four. They're going to try to make things uh, as cloudy as they can on the back end and, and send extra guys to try to contain Cooper Cup. And that is predicated on them being successful with rushing four. And, and you know, Matthew Stafford faced like the highest pressure rate of his of his season, um, you know, against the 49ers in week 18. And the, down the stretch, especially down the back half of that game, when the Rams were imploding, um, that pressure made a difference. It made a massive, massive difference in the game. So uh, being stout and and steady up front will be huge for the Rams, but also for the 49ers because this Rams pass rush, I mean, they have really put it together and, you know, they've been blitzing a little bit more in the last couple of weeks, but prior to that, they were on the rise in terms of only sending four and being really, really effective in that regard. And we know they like to keep things, um, shifty and moving post snap and, and to make things really muddy uh, for the quarterback in the back half. And when you rush four like that, as they can do, especially after adding Von Miller, um, it, it's pretty frightening, I think, up there for, for a quarterback. Is Whitworth expected to play this Sunday? Yeah, he should play. Um, obviously, he missed last week with the knee and ankle injury. I think it's a good sign for him that he was a full participant in practice all week this week. So, you know, th- those back-to-back days are so important when you're trying to put together sort of a, la- a late campaign here uh, to play. And his scans were clean after he did suffer the injury a couple weeks ago. So both things are positive. But at the same time, you know, it is substantial to have your starting left tackle, um, you know, sort of be coming out of any sort of injury, let alone uh, knee ankle that he suffered. But he should play. They, they are missing their depth guy, Joe Noteboom is doubtful for Sunday. He is a huge factor uh, if, if Whitworth, you know, isn't 100%. 
And he also is their extra tackle in some of those heavier personnel sets that they've had success with. Um, so that's a, a big loss for them. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Jordan Rodrigue of The Athletic about the Rams. Uh, wins are not a quarterback stat, but there's been so much focus on Jimmy Garoppolo's teams winning in spite of his very low QBRs and very low passing attempts. How much pressure is there on Stafford because of the way we focus on that being the big replacement for a team that had already made a Super Bowl with a different QB? Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. I think this has been uncharted territory for Matthew Stafford, and it's been cool, I think, on the Rams side and certainly for teammates and coaches to watch how he's really clicked in and locked into maybe even a little bit higher of a plane than he was even ending the season. Um, I, I think the last two weeks he's, he's really just played exceptional football. Decision-making has really been there, efficiency with picking his spots and getting the ball downfield, but also taking those layers that are in front of him that we know Sean McVay loves to build into his offense and his passing game, taking those plays instead of sort of playing hero ball every snap. I think that that's something that you've seen a, a very slight, but important shift in Matthew Stafford in that regard. The 49ers are not going to make it easy for him to stay that way, obviously. But on the other side of it, you know, they've, they've had a really smart plan for Jimmy Garoppolo in both of these wins this year against the Rams. Um, they ran the ball really effectively both times, especially in the second half this last time. And they, they sort of uh, maximized the efficiency of the spots he could pick and, and leverage matchups toward the middle of the field where we know he loves to get the ball. Yeah. Um, and, and especially leaned on those catch and runs and the Rams just couldn't contain some of their players, particularly Debo Samuel. And it just was a really smart plan. You know, if, if you have a quarterback who, um, you know, not, you aren't sure maybe if he's going to win you the game on his arm. Leave um, it to Shanahan to scheme to it. Make... And that's what they've done. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. really have. And that's going to be a huge thing, I think, this weekend is yeah. how they decide to cover Debo and if they can take up Jalen with him. Hey, awesome stuff, Jordan. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the game this weekend. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks so much for having me. Jordan Rodrique of The Athletic. Yeah, I'm super into seeing how they can try to tie up Jalen and keep him out of uh, sticking in the box to help with the run. Former Giant got his wish. We'll talk to him next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're ready to give you the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And the straight talk is that our next guest came on the show not long ago, right after Dave Gettleman retired for the Giants, and they started their search for a GM and a coach. And he I'm said go, this. I'm going to go get Joe Schoen up at Buffalo, the assistant GM, and I'm going to bring Brian Dable, his offensive coordinator. Okay, Ooh. we're going to give him a pass Ooh, on pronunciation. So Nobody knew it was Joe Shine. <laughs> Lawrence Tynes, host of the Blue Rush podcast, spent nine years in the NFL, two-time Super Bowl champ with the Giants. Called his shot. You got Shine Called and it. you got Dable. How you feeling? Shane. I, I'm feeling Shane. good. I feel a little Shane. ridiculous that I have <laughs> learned the pronunciation of his name since the last time we spoke. But um, when I see that name, I just don't get Shane out of it. So now I know. So, um, pretty excited. I mean, you know, we, this, these are the two guys, obviously, a lot of people were talking about. And after the performance last Sunday at Arrowhead, I mean, listen, let's go see what happens. Now they got to find some players because Josh Allen is not coming with them. <laughs> well, but they are getting Daniel Jones. And so what would your strategy be to getting the best out of Daniel Jones right now? Ooh, you got to fix that offensive line. I mean, the poor kid has just been beaten to death over his first three seasons. So, 
I think those first two picks at five and seven, I think, you know, there's a lot of good offensive linemen in this draft. So, you know, I would use them. I would, I would protect him. I would give him a shot. Now the jury's still out on Daniel Jones. You know, we don't know who he is, but I certainly would like to see him with a competent offensive line in front of him. And, you know, maybe a, a second year out of the ACL for Saquon and, and see what they can do. They've got some skill guys with Kadarius Tony and, I mean, they've got some wideouts. Uh, what's his name? The guy we overpaid for. I can't think of his name. Is it Galladay? <laughs> um, yeah. Because yep. uh, he had 450 yards receiving this year. So, um, But they've got some skill guys. But, you know, we'll see. I don't, I don't want to get too excited because, you know, they've crushed my heart so many years in a row. Listen, man, we're with you. We both had that happen yeah. more than enough times with our squad. Lawrence Tynes is with us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so last week we heard that Robbie Gold gave you a call before the Niners game with the Packers. Um, wild that three of the four games last weekend went to kicks. What did you tell Robbie? What did you guys talk about? All four, Sarah. The nope. Butker well, kick counts, right? Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. That's Although last true. play yeah, was that, technically – 49-yarder uh, yeah, counts. True. That's um, true. You know – I have all the respect in the world for Robbie, as you guys do, being in Chicago. I mean, a Bears fan, what he's been able to do over 17, 18 seasons, he's a stud. He's a, to me, I think he's a Hall of Famer. You know, Robbie, Robbie to, to reach out to me meant the world because, you know, he was just doing his due diligence. The guy that's been in the league and seen it and done it all for him to reach out to me. It was more preparation, just kind of like, what did we do pregame? You know, the temperatures were a little bit similar and, so we just talked a little bit of strategy. I don't have to tell, you know, Robbie Gould about how to kick a football. He's a lot better than <laughs> I was. So, um, But he's a stud, man. I love him and pulling for him this weekend. How much of this, when you when you see young kickers coming in, like, I mean, Cincinnati winning on the last kick of the game, it just feels like kickers right no. now have a different level of moxie that are in the league. Like, what what do you attribute that to? Man, they're just good. You know, these kids start kicking at the age of 10. You know, I see it around here. I get – hit up on Twitter and stuff like that. Local kids want me to come, you know, spend an hour with them, which I gladly do. I love it. I love doing it and helping kids, but I think they just started earlier than we did. And they're just better, you know, for the most part, these kids are really talented. Uh, they come in with a little swagger. I mean, the kid from Cincinnati's got Insane. just swag. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And so, yeah, I, I'm glad they're getting their, their, their recognition because, you know, I, I think it's the toughest position in sports outside of quarterback. So good for the brand last week. So good. There the were a couple brand. hiccups there. A couple right. hiccups, but it was good for the brand overall. Lawrence Tynes hosted the Blue Rush podcast, nine years in the NFL, two-time Super Bowl champ with the Giants, with us here on Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's talk about the games this weekend. Uh, let's mm-hmm. start with the Bengals trying to upset the juggernaut that's been the best of the best in the AFC for the last couple years. How can they beat the Chiefs? Uh, just attack that secondary. Um, you saw what Gabe Davis was able to do, the number two guy, or is he even the two? He might be the three in Buffalo. But, yeah. um, you know, that Chiefs secondary has given up a lot of yardage. If they take away Chase, I think Higgins and, and the other guy that they've got in Cincinnati can do some work. And I think the X factor, here's my X factor for the game, is C.J. Uzama, the mm. tight end. I mm-hmm. like him. I, I think he's going to play a big role in this game um, for, for the Bengals. And I'm actually picking the Bengals – at Arrowhead to go in there and steal it. Um, I think that, you know, that last game, no turnovers, uh, some questionable calls late in the end zone against the Chiefs to get them that win. But I just, there's something about Joe Burrow, man. I I, I like this team coming into Arrowhead after a, a really tough game against the Bills. 
All right, well, the then let's, let's take a look at the NFC then, where we've been talking about it in this show. It feels like everything on paper says the 49ers shouldn't win these games against the Rams, but all they do is beat the Rams. So if you're the Rams, yeah. how do you figure out the juggernaut that is San Francisco? I don't know if you can. you got to get inside Kyle Shanahan's head. You know, when I saw Trent Williams in motion last week, I, I had to rewind <laughs> it like five times. I'm like, that is awesome. Like, look at this guy. And he absolutely destroyed that right side of, or left side of the defensive line. So Kyle Shanahan is one of the best play callers in football. He's great. He's creative. Um, again, I'm going with the Niners. I'm going with both road dogs. I think, you know, I'd wow. love to see a Niners-Bengals uh, Super Bowl, uh, and, and obviously I'd love for Robbie Gould to get a ring. I'm just kind of pulling for him, you know, being a little bit of a homer here. But I would like to see the Niners and, and the Bengals in the, in the Super Bowl. Here in Chicago, I mean, we sort of consider thing. Robbie still a Bears player, especially yeah, after what he did he to Rodgers and the Packers. So I think there's a lot of people on that same wavelength with you. I just want him to rip open that jersey and have a Bears tee underneath. Just to, you know, just give us a little love. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you obviously um, – Playing a team like the Patriots probably felt a bit like how the Rams feel against the Niners, right? It's like nobody's giving you a shot. Everybody everybody feels like, you know, they've got your number or, or, you know, they're the dominant team. What's the conversation like in the locker room for the Rams going into that game where they know they've lost six in a row to them, where they know the coach has sort of gotten the scheme side of things every time? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I. You know, for us in the NFC East, and it was regular season, of course, but the Eagles used to just beat us all the time in that division. We couldn't figure it out. And I think it's a little bit of a, you know, a little anxiety going in for the, for the Rams. Like, they know they've been beaten six times in a row, and you need something good to happen early. So, you know, they'd have to get off to a fast start. I think if they get off to a slow start, it's trouble, because then all those doubts start creeping into your head. And, um so that would be the key to that game, I think. It depends on how the Rams start uh, on Sunday against the, the Niners. Yeah, and of course before the we, Niners before we want get that start we got for at the least, run. Let, let, let me at least get Lawrence to look into the crystal ball since you perfectly predicted the Giants. You want to tell me who the next Raiders coach is going to be? I mean, just you're on a roll. <laughs> any any, any on, the, on the record guess there? Let, I mean, I'm just going to go with the hot name, right? Josh McDaniels probably. No, oh, that's fair. Oh, wait, wait, um, I'm just saying. Didn't they hire? Like, they hired the, a New England executive, no, as, as GM. Or not, not yet, but I yet. figured. I don't know. Okay. Like I just figured we'd look at your magic eight ball and see if it yeah. gave you like. I, a, I'm a you little know, upset that later. Rich Bisaccia didn't did not. I'm a little upset that Rich Bisaccia didn't get a little more love there. It turns out he might end up with the Bears as a special yeah, teams coach. Uh, so yeah, I don't but know. I thought he deserved a shot after what he was able to do. Yeah. With yeah, that football team and all that, that turmoil, I mean, there's that's there's something to be said there. So, I just don't it'll understand. Be, uh, it, it'll be pretty awkward if they hire someone else and they regress next year after what we saw. That's make it, it really will. tough, tough job yeah. for whoever's next. Hey, Lawrence, thanks so much for the insight. Enjoy the games this weekend. <laughs> thanks, Lawrence. You bet. You guys Lawrence do the same. Stunts. Have a great weekend. See ya. Listen to him on the Blue Rush podcast. Spain and Fitz, we're giving you the straight talk. No contract, no compromise. Straight talk wireless. Coming up, Brian Dable, the third coach hired in the last few days, including the Bears getting a new coach. We'll talk about it all next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night. The Warriors host the Nets, presented by Indeed Coverage begins 
at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Speaking of that game, really cool note for the Warriors. Andrew Wiggins has been named a starter for the All-Star Game. Mm -hmm. Sarah, something incredible for a former number one overall pick that felt like at times maybe his career was lost. A rare uh, moment for a player from Canada. There's just a lot of cool things coming together for somebody, and it's a reminder sometimes you got to be in the right situation with the right players around you to maximize who you can be as a player. Oh, it's huge. And listen, there's a little bit of a K-pop influence there. There's an interesting story with the Warriors teaming up with a K-pop star. But the good thing is, is this isn't like back in the day when a fan vote could skew things where a player wasn't really deserving. He was still up there with the media vote and the other vote. So like, maybe it's a reach. Maybe you could have put Gobert or Cat or, you know, even his teammate in Draymond Green probably statistically would have been better. But it makes for a great story that someone who ended up in a position where his potential could be better realized gets rewarded in this way so I'm okay with it I don't know if those other guys I mentioned are okay with it they they probably <laughs> want that starting spot but I do love it and you could tell the Warriors and Steve Kerr and everybody are really pumped that he's getting that opportunity yeah averaging 18.1 points per game shooting a career best 40.4 percent from three point I mean just absolutely crushing it he's going to be in the zone get in the zone it's brought to you by AutoZone get in the zone AutoZone you can't say it you have to sing it it's just a rule <laughs> Spare Spain Jason Fitz speaking of in the zone feels like that we've had several coaching hires uh, over the last couple of days finally we've gotten a few of these uh, solved the most recent uh, we were just talking about for the Giants but as, as you start to look at these coaching uh, hires coming in it feels like fan bases are actually super excited about it so and, and I'm not just talking about Dable coming in uh, Brian Dable coming in as the New York Giants head coach it feels like Giants fans are excited about that but even if you look across the board like Eberflus coming in for the Bears it just feels like there's a lot of positive energy around the coaches that have been hired so far for their own. Mm, speak for yourself. I, I really? think Dable, a lot of people are fired up about. Um, honestly, haven't heard much yet from, from the Broncos fans on Hackett. I think there's always going to be optimism when there's a new regime. When you're disappointed, usually your team is not having a lot of success when you're bringing in a new coach. So there is... What, what, what I would describe in Chicago and what I've heard from all the people calling in to local radio and all the local hosts here is everybody is whelmed. They are neither under nor Interesting. over. Um, I think there's enthusiasm about Ryan Poles. He's, he's a young guy, a first-time GM. Everybody I've spoken to, from Scott Pioli, who hired him originally, to um, folks who worked with him at the Chiefs uh, later in his career, he managed to survive a number of different regimes, both in terms of GMs and head coaches, kept working his way up. I think the modern, young approach is what we want, particularly looking at the McCaskey family and this sort of antiquated way of doing things. I like the Ryan Poles hire. He had a relationship with Eberflus, so a lot of people thought maybe that's the direction they would go. But over the course of the last couple opportunities, the Bears have continued to take the less experienced first-timer over what some might see as a more obvious choice. John Fox is the last coach they hired that was coming out of an experienced job where he had proven himself as a head coach. The last time, you know, they, they, they passed on Bruce Arians. This time, they look at guys like Dan Quinn and Jim Caldwell, and they're like, oh, we'll go for this guy who's in his 50s and hasn't gotten a shot yet. That could be great. And having a defensive-minded coach who takes you back to the Lovey Smith era in terms of that Tampa 2 defense kind of vibe, a lot of people are enthusiastic about it. But this job is just in fields. 
Justin Fields will decide whether these guys are still here in three years. So you better be right with your offensive coordinator and you better figure out how you're going to get that quarterback to become what the expectation is because it doesn't matter if you come in and keep that defense great or make it even better if your quarterback doesn't get it done. That's the job. Well, there's no doubt about that. And certainly I, I'm just a little surprised to hear that it's whelmed. I thought the sense was overwhelmed uh, but, or, or, you know, at least positively whelmed. I don't think that's really a word, but I feel you on it. Like much like I've seen with Raiders Twitter. I mean, the, the rumors of Josh McDaniels, most Raiders fans are very underwhelmed with. I, I, you know, I don't know why everybody seems to have their their case on it. Now, Nathaniel Hackett, you mentioned, is the new Broncos head coach and uh, had a little fun. This is what he said at his press conference as he came in that made everybody laugh. I mean, the people I got to work with, Matt LaFleur, I mean, I will thank him forever. I'm going to make a run uh, at being the sexiest coach in the, in the NFL against him. And <laughs> hysterical moment for Hackett. But here's the yeah. one thing I would ask. Like, are we even judging this hire? Because this hire immediately became, for Broncos fans and for so much of NFL on social, became, okay, they've hired Hackett, which means they're getting Aaron Rodgers. You know, mm -hmm. and that's like the, the immediate beat, this, if this, then that. Well, I guess I would look at everybody and say, okay, if no Aaron Rodgers with the Broncos, are you still universally excited about that hire? I don't think right. anybody can really know. Right. I thought you were going to ask if we were really ready to make sure that Matt LaFleur was the hottest coach. What about, you know, Cliff Kingsbury taking, Cliff Kingsbury's taking definitely strays more over? I mean, I think right? that's more about the house than anything else, but we, we could debate this another time. I, I do like that he came in with a little sass and a little bit of fun. Um, uh, that's, that's always good. You don't win anything with the opening presser though. So to your point, um, there is a very unreliable and very disappointing offense for the last few years for the Broncos. And he's going to be tasked with fixing that with Aaron Rodgers or not. Now the new general, uh, the, the general manager of the, of the Broncos said that this was not what the hire was about. And it would be very risky to hire a new head coach and just cross your fingers that you know that that Aaron Rodgers was was headed your way especially someone as mercurial and 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 difficult to read as Rodgers um but I do think the idea that they're bringing in an, an offensive minded guy that they're bringing in a guy who's clearly had success bodes well for the Broncos the question is who's he going to work with and also you do have to wonder how much of his success is Aaron Rodgers was yeah, it about his coordinating job or was it about having one of the best quarterbacks of all time like, and that's the part that sort of blows my mind. I mean, I want to think that Hackett's going to be a great head coach because I root for all of these guys to get an opportunity. But I also look at all of that and say, I'm not even sure if we know how good a head coach Matt LaFleur is. Like, there's a difference between I'm a head coach with Aaron Rodgers in my quarterback as my quarterback and I'm a head coach with insert anybody. Like, you, you aren't going to be the same head coach if Andy Dalton's your starter, right? Like, that's just mm -hmm. not real. So I, I think we have to understand that some of this becomes really difficult to judge, you know, that at least with Dable going into the Giants, I think I see some of the Giants fan base excitement because what we saw from the Bills organization was a tremendous amount of patience and development with Josh Allen. So you can look at it and say, hey, they had a guy that a lot of people questioned for a long time, but we watched Dable get better as a play caller over the course of his time. We watched uh, we watched Josh Allen get better as a quarterback. So now you you sort of do the if this then that of if he has the control over the development of Daniel Jones, maybe now we can feel more positive about the trajectory of a young quarterback that could be worth developing. I agree with you that I would be optimistic if I were them. I think it's a good hire someone who has proven his medal and certainly the development as a play caller beyond just the development of Josh Allen himself is impressive but you might be falling into the exact same trap of a guy coming in doing all the same things 
and the person he's working with in Daniel Jones just ain't that guy. And yeah. you're going to find out at least what you have with Daniel Jones better than you have because as the Giants have admitted even themselves, we, we, we screwed this up. We didn't give this guy a shot. So hopefully with Dable, he'll get one. But how, how much time is Dable going to get for them to figure out we've saddled you with a, with a quarterback who can't get it done? This is not on you. We need better players. We need you know better quarterback, everything else. That's a tough situation to walk into. Now, all of these. And to that point, you know, I, I was actually talking uh, earlier today to Keyshawn about coaches in general. And, you know, one thing he's, he pointed out is that second-time head coaches don't have a tremendous track record of success in his mind. And I, I, I agree with the concept, but I also look at it and say I'm not sure any head coaches have a tremendous track record of success. Like most of these hires result in eventually being fired. So – all of it feels like a bit of a crapshoot, and you're right. At least I think the difference for some fan bases is do you feel like you have your quarterback? Because if you feel like you have your quarterback, it changes the way you feel about everything with the with the guy mm-hmm. that comes into the building. And to the point in Chicago, it's all going to be about Justin Fields. Just like for the Giants at some point, it's all going to be either about Daniel Jones or who the next Daniel Jones is in that locker room. Coming up, we've checked in with the Bengals and the Rams. Now we'll check in on the 49ers and the Chiefs, a Super Bowl rematch. We'll talk about it next. Peyton Fitz on ESPN. Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. All right, we got a couple of teams to get you ready for as we're going around the gamut, getting everybody caught up on everything they need to know from all four of the teams playing this weekend. So let's get to the 49ers next, where we're joined by Nick Wagoner, ESPN NFL Nation 49ers reporter. Nick, always love talking to you, man. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Why are the 49ers always capable of beating the Rams? <laughs> well, uh, I think at this point there's some sort of a mental edge to it that's playing a factor. But really what I think it is that is if you look at the way these games have played out, particularly this year, but um, even the last couple of years in, in this series, the 49ers are the more physical team, and they've kind of exerted their will on the Rams. And I know you can't really measure that other than to look at some of the statistics, you know, up front. You know, how are they rushing with four? Uh, what kind of run game are they getting going? And, and the Niners seem to check those boxes kind of consistently. And if you look at some of just the kind of situational things that the Niners do really well, uh, they've done them against the Rams. I go to third down as an example. I think the Niners are – 17 of 28 on third down against the Rams this year, which is an obscenely high number. So uh, things like that where they're putting themselves in good position, a lot of that is because of their running game. But I think the 49ers believe they're the more physical team, and, and I think they also believe they're the upper team overall. And I think that you've seen that kind of bear out in the results. There was a time not that long ago where we were questioning Shanahan and a, a little bit of a hot seat <laughs> over there. We were wondering why this team wasn't living up to the potential that we expected is there a pivot point that you remember things changing? And, and do you know why? Yeah, Sarah, I really think they lost to Arizona. Uh, it was about midway through the season, early November, I believe. And then they lost to, like, the JV Cardinals. You know, Kyler Murray was hurt. DeAndre right. Hopkins was hurt. J.J. Watt was hurt. All those guys. And they got blown out. I mean, it was, it was one of the worst games I've seen the Niners play under Kyle Shanahan. Maybe, maybe the low point of the Kyle Shanahan era. And after that game, something seemed to turn in them. And I think a lot of it had to do with they just kind of figured out who they are again. Uh, you know, our, our pal Ryan Clark calls the 49ers the most self-aware team in football. And I, I like the way he phrased that because I think it took them a while to figure out who they are and what they're about. And once they did, they stick to it vehemently. Even after they fell behind 17 nothing to the Rams in Week 18, 
They didn't stop running the ball. They didn't panic and have Jimmy Garoppolo drop back and, and throw the ball 50 times. They kept running the ball. They didn't start, They didn't panic on defense. They they didn't start just blitzing Matthew Stafford like crazy. They put it on their front four to, to get after him and create pressure that way. So I think that is really kind of the easiest way to put it is they figured out what their identity is, which is the identity that they had when they were good in 2019. They figured out who their running back is, Elijah Mitchell. And then they started thinking outside the box a little bit with Debo Samuel and some of that stuff. But overall, they got back to who they were, and they started doing it really well, and they never strayed from it. So, Nick, who do you got in this game? I'm picking the Niners, and, and, and it's not because they've won six in a row against the Rams. And, and even if I was going to pick the Rams, I wouldn't pick them because they're due. You know, it's just a roulette wheel thing, right? Like, you, you know, you win, you win six in a row. You're not going to win the seventh because you won the other six. It's because you have the same odds. But I just think the 49ers are, are tougher physically and mentally than the Rams, and that's nothing against the Rams. They're a really good team. I just think the 49ers have what it takes to get the job done. They're going to have a little bit of a home field advantage, I think, on Sunday, too, down in, down in Los Angeles. Thanks wow. for the time. Nick Wagoner, ESPN NFL Nation 49ers reporter. We appreciate you, my friend. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. You got it, guys. Take care. Now going from the NFC to the AFC, we uh, need to get the side of the Chiefs on, and not from Stosh, producer extraordinaire on this <laughs> show that's a massive Chiefs fan. I feel like we could just open up his mic and he could go for an hour on it. No, no, no. We'll get it from Adam Teicher, ESPN NFL Nation Chiefs reporter, and the, the Chiefs expert here. Adam, we need your expertise on this. So looking at this matchup from the side of the Bengals, what, are the, what do the Chiefs need to do to slow down Jamar Chase? Um, whatever they didn't do in the first game against him, they do, should do that this time around because uh, everything they tried in that first game did not work. Um, you know, and it's kind of funny because a couple times, or more than a couple times, few times, they they had guys in the area. You know, uh, one time a guy got his hand on the ball and Chase still made a catch. So, um, you know, they'll they'll change some things around. But uh, you know, you just wonder will that open up things for the other Bengals receivers? You know, will will T Higgins, for instance, have a big game or or Tyler Boyd? You know, last week the the Chiefs really did a nice job defending against Stephon Diggs. I think he had seven yards worth of catches. Well, Gabriel Davis went off. You know, with a a Jamar a Jamar Chase type of game. So. Um, the Bengals have a lot for the Chiefs to worry about. And, and while I know they'll do things differently than they did the first time around, um, you, you just wonder whether that's going to be good enough. There's been a lot of focus, of course, on their inability to stop Chase. But since his defense was a big part of that win as well, just three points in the second half of that regular season meeting from the Chiefs. What did you see Cincy do to slow down Mahomes and company? Yeah, they took away Travis Kelsey and they took away Tyreek Hill. Um, they, between the two of them, they had, I think it was right around 40 yards receiving. And, um, you know, so that, no wonder the Chiefs only got a field goal in the second half. Um, so uh, I, I, it's hard to see the Chiefs winning this game by getting 40 yards between Hill and Kelsey uh, on, on Sunday. So um, you, you just know that, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy looked at what the Bengals did the last time around, and they've been working uh, um, things to get around that with those two guys. So um, I, I feel uh, pretty safe in saying both of those guys will have better games than they did last time around. But will it be good enough? Uh, you know, that's the other question. We're talking to ESPN NFL Nation Chiefs reporter Adam Teicher, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So if you're looking at the, the Chiefs and their ability to get after Joe Burrow, how do they manufacture the type of pass rush that we saw the Raiders and Titans manufacture? 
Yeah, well, the Chiefs had four sacks against the Bengals when they played them a few weeks ago, and and the, but they're you, and they they intend to do better on Sunday, but they they feel like they uh, they could have they could have done better the last time around and should have done better. Um, they, they're they're sort of spent some time lamenting the the ones that they didn't get. That um, you know, that they Joe Burrow did a nice job on a few plays of. Uh, really maneuvering around in the pocket and, and either getting rid of the ball or finding an open receiver with that extra time. So uh, the Chiefs, that's a focus this week. They they uh, want to finish better than they did last time around, and um, they want to uh, you know either sack him on those types of plays or or at least hit him, and um, you know or make him get rid of the ball before he wants to. So uh, you know the Chiefs do want to do even though they had a pretty nice game in that regard the last time around. They want to make it like like Tennessee did, for instance, last week. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Adam Teicher, ESPN NFL Nation Chiefs reporter. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the offense at the beginning of the season were questioned for his ability to, to accept what the defense was giving him. Um, and then kind of at the end here, now we're looking at a defense that struggled uh, to contain the Bills. Is there one of the two phases of those two that you're more confident in now as we're at this part of the season? Oh yeah, I, I'll take uh, the Chiefs' offense. Uh, they're, they're on. A, I mean, Mahomes is just playing. He's just in his zone right now. I mean, he has played so well the last couple weeks, and and uh, really most of the last whatever six seven weeks of the regular season. I mean, he's he's just been in that zone. So uh, except um, for I feel against like the, the Chiefs will be all right. On, <laughs> Uh, I feel like the Chiefs will be all right on that side of the ball. Defensively, you wonder a little bit. I mean, the Bills uh, uh, have a lot of a lot of uh, threats uh, with their receivers, and and they took advantage of it with a good quarterback. Uh, you know, will things be different uh, on Sunday? Uh, you know, the, the Chiefs had trouble. Um, they, they gave up 400 and some yards to Joe Burrow last time around, and that was a season high for them. So. Uh, um, you just wonder where they are defensively right now. So uh, I, I do kind of see a, another high-scoring game, maybe not quite like last week's, but still uh, um, uh, up there for sure. You mentioned you see a high-scoring game. What's a, what's your prediction, Adam? I'll take the Chiefs in this one, 34-24 is I think what I picked, maybe 34-27. But um, uh, I, I just feel like they're playing so well right now. The Bengals uh, – Hey, I I feel like um, they'll come in. A lot of people are thinking maybe this is game is too big for them. This stage too bad. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think they'll come in, play a nice game. But in the end, I think the Chiefs are the uh, the better team. They're, they're on a roll right now. Mahomes is playing so well. So uh, I, I feel like if they were going to lose in the AFC playoffs, it was going to be last week. So I'll take the Chiefs by seven or ten points. Uh, the real lead here that we buried is, while I'm stuck in a nor'easter in, in Connecticut, <laughs> you're going to have balmy 50-degree weather for the game. Decent. Enjoy the game, Adam. We appreciate <laughs> your time. Thanks so much. Enjoy the weekend. There's shorts and T-shirts out here in Kansas City, guys. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate you, my friend. Oh, great stuff from Adam Teicher, ESPN NFL Nation Chiefs reporter. And, yeah, it's actually going to be a warm uh, a warm game in Kansas City. I'll be very jealous. Coming up, who will meet up in the Super Bowl? That's right. We've got the answer for you. You don't even need to watch the games because, frankly, Sarah's going to make picks. I am, too. Oh, they won't be oh, as good, sure, but sure. we're going to make picks. So, <laughs> I mean, if anything, I know you're going to be right. I'm going to be wrong, but we'll pick them next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We made it to the end of another week. That's right. It's Friday. Friday. Yeah. Friday. 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 
Championships on Sunday. We got picks to make. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Now, earlier in the show, we talked to diehard Bengals fan Jordan Cornette, and, and, and he and Fitz sort of came to what felt like a quorum that, that it, it was Jason Fitz's anti-Bengals jingles that were propelling the Cincinnati team to victory. So Jason showed up again with another anti-Bengals song. Let's hear it and see if he's actually making his predictions based on the songs he's singing. Oh, hey, Jordan. Everybody knows that I'm a Raiders fan And in a game like this, well I should be a Bengals stan But I'm gonna troll you now, cause that's the kind of friend I am And maybe it's part of a master plan Cause the Chiefs are gonna tomahawk chop your season away Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah Gonna leave you crying in your skyline chilly today hey, all right, the question is, uh, are you singing with your heart? Do you believe that the Bengals will be barbecued? Or uh, are, are you uh, changing your mind post-song? Yeah, this is – look, I, I thought the Bengals had a really good chance against the Titans. I thought the Bengals had a really good chance against the Raiders. I think those were both going to be tight games, and they both turned out to be tight games. I think the Chiefs are, are a better team than Kansas City right now. And the way Patrick Mahomes is playing, I said it last week, I feel like Patrick Mahomes has taken a massive bath in Crisco, and he's running around <laughs> back there, and the more you try and get him, the less you're capable of getting him, which means that she, the, the Bengals are going to have to cover longer, which to me means we're going to see a bunch of defensive penalties, a bunch of holding. We saw that last week with the Bills. We see that every time when Mahomes gets going like this out of the pocket, it forces defenders to make bad decisions. I think this is a matchup problem for the Bengals. And even though Jamar Chase may go off, like this to me feels like the ultimate 42 to 32 sort of game. But I will take the Chiefs to be in the Super Bowl yet again, which, by the way, is what I predicted in the preseason. Wow. Wow. Uh, I agree with you this is tough because this has been such a fun ride watching the Bengals this year and for them to be way ahead of schedule as I mentioned you know Burrow coming off the injury a team that's kind of a laughing stock and you don't expect to be ready um between him and Chase the, the offense has been explosive and so difficult to stop and that's what we saw in their last matchup there were so many things that I think the the the, the Chiefs can easily do better tackling is one of them stopping chase is another possessing the ball for longer and more effectively in the second half is another like there are things that the chiefs if they play the way they have the last couple weeks it's very easy to see them do and win this game it is tougher for me to picture a Bengals defense that's been good um but against this current iteration of Mahomes and that offense, it's tougher for me to see them making the kind of stops that they did last time. And I know that's kind of crazy. It's not that long ago that these two teams met and they held Mahomes to nine of 13 passes for 50 yards in the second half. I mean, they really did figure out how to shut down an offense that had come into its own by then. This was an early season Mahomes he had figured out a lot and yet was not effective against the Bengals. So I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Um, both of these offenses are averaging almost 300 passing yards a game. It's just been really fun to watch. But I think the, to your point, 
the Crisco bathed Mahomes, who is effectively taking what the defense is giving him and finding those escape routes from pressure, using his legs when necessary, hitting his guys in creative and different ways. Um, I think that's a recipe for success for the Chiefs. So I hate to say it, but I think this might be the end of the road for the Bengals, at least for now. Uh, there's a bright future there, though. Yeah, by the way, I am rooting for Cincinnati. Let me be very clear. Sorry, Stosh, but I never want to see the Chiefs go to the Super Bowl. I love you, Stosh. But, uh, like, I'm rooting for Cincinnati. But I mean, it, they've just... been there a lot, so I'm not yep. going to lie. I would be excited to see a new, fresh face in the Bengals. The Chiefs have had two back-to-back -back years of all, you know. It would be fun to see how pumped Cincinnati fans would be to try to flood L.A. and, and go support their team. Yeah, I mean, just the, the thought of getting like a Bengals 49ers Super Bowl rematch would be sensual, but I, you know, I, I, I just don't think sensual. So that's the first game. The second one may be a little trickier to pick. Let's see if Mina can give us a little insight to help. This is Mina on Around the Horn two days ago. And the question I think was more about the mentality of the Rams and McVay and trying to get over the hump that is uh, their consistent losing to the Niners. But Mina doesn't want to talk mentality. Mina wants to talk scheme. McVay is saying Shanahan's not in his head. Six in a row Shanahan's beaten McVay. Mina, do the 49ers have an advantage in this matchup? And is it that Shanahan is in McVay's head? Well, I feel like that's exactly what you would say if somebody was in your head, that they're not in your head. But uh, to me, it's less about the, the mind games and more about the matchups and how uh, the Niners are simply at an advantage in many of them. The Rams want to run the ball, uh, and Matthew Stafford is deadly against the Blitz. The Niners have an incredible run defense, and they can get pressure without blitzing. Meanwhile, on the other side, the Rams have an outrageously good pass rush. They are vulnerable to a physical rushing attack and quarterbacks who can get the ball out. I just described the San Francisco 49ers. To me, this isn't about mind games. It's about styles making fights. I love it. I love when Mina Kimes gets in her bag like that because all of that is true. And, you know, I was listening to uh, Bill Barnwell's podcast uh, about these games, and, and uh, uh, I was also listening to Mina's. I can't remember who, who was talking about this, but it was interesting to go back and look and see – how they took some of the strengths of the Rams in previous meetings and they eliminated them. And one of those is Jalen Ramsey. They essentially let Jalen take Debo out of the game for most of it. And they went to Ayuk and Jennings and Kittle and they allowed that, you know, sort of removing Debo as the, as the weapon that they wanted um, by being willing to take Jalen out. Because of that, it forced the Rams to put Darius Williams as their nickel and put him in the box to try to stop the run. And what whoever the analyst was that was saying this, I think was completely spot on, that you will be happy if you're the Rams if you let Debo burn you a couple times, but you stop the run more often by putting Jalen in the box and just putting Darius Williams on Debo. It's not going to be pretty all the time, but you got to make that adjustment. And that's going to be what's most interesting in this game, Fitz, is how many adjustments both sides will make based on seeing each other as much as they have same goes for the Niners with you know trying to figure out how to slow down Cooper Cup uh, because if they throw a bunch of bodies and decide he's not going to be the one that beats them they might end up leaving OBJ on the outside in one-on-one -on -one coverage and he could be the guy that goes off and has a huge game and you don't really care if Cooper Cup gets his if you're the Rams as long as OBJ is crushing them on the outside so like there are so many interesting matchups and Again, we've seen Shanahan be the one to win every time when it comes down to using your personnel best. Uh, this could be the biggest opportunity for us to see that, and that is why I'm picking the Niners. Oh, she's doing it. Oh, man. I'm, you know, the, I, I, 
everything you just said is so spot on. And by the way, I thought the interesting stat coming into this game is that the 49ers have rushed on 57% of their plays this mm. postseason. Like, that's the second highest in the last decade. It shows you how they're getting this done. The problem is the Rams are built like this super team with one little Achilles heel. And that one little Achilles heel is exactly what the 49ers know how to attack. It's just a bad matchup that being said I still believe in talent and I still don't believe in Jimmy G like he makes stupid <laughs> mistakes and I've said this two weeks in a row I may regret it but I think Jimmy G is prone to enough mistakes it only takes one in this game and right now Matt Stafford is so hot even though nothing says this should happen Stafford's going to be able to get it done Jimmy G isn't I think Rams to make it to the Super Bowl and my entire preseason prediction is correct of Chiefs oh wow that's Rams. what we're doing here we're just Woo! doubling down on what you said before any of the Woo! football was played I mean, interesting just, approach it's gonna make me feel so smart <laughs> Freddie and Fitz and Fitzsimmons are coming up next both Shanahan and McVay are going to be on and they're going to break down their entire Woo! game what plan a what a get have a great weekend thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.